0: Hey, church, today it is my great privilege to introduce to you Dr. Fred Lowry. He is a friend, he is a mentor, and he's also my pastor. He was the pastor at the First Baptist Church of Bossier City, Louisiana, where I grew up and where I was introduced to Jesus and called to the ministry, and where my dad ended up giving his life to Christ, and my mother, and my sister, and my brother, and we were all baptized there together, and so he is not just a friend, he is a hero. Uh, to me, and today he's going to share with you. And I want you to put your hands together and welcome my friend, Dr. Fred Lowry, to the stage. Thanks. So good to be here today. I bring you greetings in this room and in the other on the other campuses from Pastor Alex's home church. He is greatly loved in Bowser City, and I certainly love him. I'm proud of him. I believe that he is one of the finest, brightest young pastors in America today. And uh, I thank God for it. And it's just a joy to be be with you. I've heard so much about this church, so much through Alex and uh, I just couldn't uh, wait to to get here. I did have a little trouble getting here. My GPS went crazy and I had one on my phone and then I stopped and put one in the car and turned it on and then I had two women telling me opposite things, and it got real confusing. But, uh, you know, uh, I was in Dallas and got on an airplane, and we taxied out as normal, and then we just sat there. And then he revved up the engines, and I thought, this is it, we're going, and then the engines went back down. A few more minutes, revved up the engines, and went back down, and we're still sitting there. I'm looking at my watch as you've been there. I don't like to stay out on the runways for hours. Revved up the engines again, went back down. And then I realized we were moving, except not with the engines revved up. We went back to the gate. And we sat at the gate for about 20 or 30 minutes. They wouldn't let us off the plane. Got back on the plane, and we got out on the runway, and and. uh, took off. And when, it, when we climbed out, the stewardess was walking down the aisle and I said, I want to know what happened. I mean, we, you know, we go out here and he revs up the engine several times and we go back to the gate, stay 20 or 30 minutes. What happened? She said, well, the pilot didn't like the sound of number one engine. I said, well, what did we do? She said, we changed pilots. <laughs> well, what, what I want you to get a hold of this morning is that we all go through difficult circumstances, no exceptions. And we are, are tempted when we go through those difficult times that we want to change the circumstances. That's what we want God to do. God change these circumstances when most of the time God is wanting to change us through the circumstances. And that's what the story of Joseph is all about. More than likely, all of you in this room, you either have a problem right now, or you know somebody who's got a problem, or you're married to a problem, or you are the problem. But we all have problems, and we go through crisis after crisis, and that's, the, that's, just, that's just normal. When I pastored for those 53 years, I call myself the minister of crisis because I just went from crisis to crisis, helping people who were going through difficult times in their lives. And Joseph was that way. I mean, all kind of bad things happened to Joseph. And he just went from crisis to crisis. Webster says, a crisis is a turning point in your life that is going to be powerful it's going to, something's going to happen. You're either going to become bitter or you're, you're going to become better. When a crisis happens, it's, it, it's, it's going to be better or worse. And so what God wants us to do is learn from each crisis and that the problems, the difficulties, when we walk through crisis, we come out of it better and not ever bitter. And I think that's so important. Joseph was able to walk through crisis, to walk in the darkness, and at the same time, trust God. I mean, he didn't have to have all the answers. He didn't have to be able to see how it was going to all turn out. Joseph learned to trust God in the darkness. You, You see, if we focus on circumstances then that's going to empower those circumstances to become stumbling blocks. But if we focus on God and trust Him, those circumstances become stepping stones. In other words, if we will trust God in the darkness, when we don't understand, not demanding answers, but just trusting God, then adversity is going to be a surge forward, not a setback. It's going to be a stepping stone instead of a stumbling block. Now, you've talked about all about Joseph in this series, and I can't give you more information. You already know probably about Joseph. He, he had a lot of problems, and he came from a very dysfunctional family. His mom was an idolater. His dad, a crook, a deceiver, a schemer. His brothers filled with hate. I mean, they, this jealous hatred they had for him so much that you know the story of, of throwing him into the pit and, and they wanted to kill him and take the coat back to the, the dad and, and lie about it. But then this uh, caravan came by and they had a chance to sell Joseph for 20 shekels of silver. And they thought, you know if we, if we kill him, we don't get any money. But if we, if we sell him, we get some money. So they, they, they sold Joseph into, into slavery and he was sexually harassed by the boss's wife after he uh, was put in Potiphar's, head of Potiphar's household. And he was falsely accused and unjustly imprisoned. And not for a day or a month, but years. And even in prison, he was taken advantage of it. His friends let him down. Problem after problem, crisis after crisis. And more than likely, there's not one person in this room that's had to go through what Joseph went through. So we can learn a lot from Joseph. He went through all of this, and yet God used his, the problems, the adversities in his life to take him from the pit to the palace, to the pinnacle. And so we can learn so much from Joseph about how we handle our problems, how we can rise above circumstances, and how we can grow through circumstances. He, uh, in Genesis chapter 50, and you ought to memorize this verse. I know you memorize scripture, uh, there's those special verses to you. In the Old Testament, this verse is one to be memorized. In Genesis 50, verse 20, it says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. So you you see, this truth in God's Word is a truth that's available to all of us. This worked in Joseph's life, but it also works in our lives. God used jealousy and rejection and hatred and all the terrible things that happened to Joseph. He used all of it as gifts in Joseph's life. When all these terrible things happen, worse than we will ever go through, more than likely, in in, in that situation, In the midst of those problems, gifts came to Joseph. He was able to unwrap the gift of God's power, God's purpose, God's plan for his life, God's presence in his life. See, that's the beautiful thing about adversity, that no matter what you're going through, God shows up. And you sense his presence in a way that you would never sense it any other way. It's a gift. Adversity is that gift from God, that beautiful gift as we sense God's presence in such a powerful way. In Joseph's life, we see a chain of events from disaster after disaster as God, but we also see God's grace at work in his life. And those things meant to harm him turned out for his good. Those things to bury him actually elevated him. Alex asked me to tell you about when I first came to Bozier, and that's a 45 minute story, and I'm going to try to condense it in about four or five minutes. But when we came to Bozier in 1983, God called us there. We knew that. But it was a very traditional church, and we didn't know it, but there was a group of of men who had power and they control everything. They especially control the pastor and they made all the decisions and church had to go like they wanted it to go. And I, you know, I'm just not that kind of guy. I, I just believe in doing things God's way and going by the book and uh, that uh, you build a, a church on the truth of God's word. And the church began to grow immediately i mean every sunday we're having 20 or 30 additions and and in that first year over 800 people came to uh, to join the church but that just brought terrible things upon me because this group of people turned against me because they didn't want this kind of growth we don't even know who these people are you see they saw everybody else as you're outsiders you're we're the real church we want stable growth we don't want we don't want all this and, and so they began then to, to attack me personally and they began to tell all kinds of lies. I mean, every day was a new lie and they accused me of everything. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I could have tried to do half of those things. Uh, if In my weakest moment, any of those things uh, that they would make up. I couldn't see any of you doing that, but yet they would tell all these horrible lies about me. And they began then to try to, Uh, to get other people, there was this small group of people at first, and then they began to branch out and try to convince these other people in meetings and newsletters and all this stuff uh, that we have to get rid of this horrible pastor and uh, we've got to run him out of town. And so they began to to try to get people, they they went after the business people and they tried to, they told them we're going to boycott your business if you don't join us and run this pastor off. And, and so this, it just got worse and worse. In the headlines of the paper, uh, hundreds leave First Baptist, disenchanted with the present pastor. Now that'll bless you. You wake up to that. Uh, and you know, we, I didn't want to be there. Nobody wants to be un, unliked, unwanted. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to go through this mess. I just wanted to, to preach and pastor those people and love those people and see God do whatever God wants to do. But they couldn't handle that, and so they kept coming after me, and they kept, and finally they decided to uh, to leave the church, and to take as many people with them as they possibly could, and so they were, you know, out in front of all the Sunday school classes, the classes, the small groups, and uh, trying to sign up everybody they could sign to to, to leave, and they went and stole a church down the road, and. uh they were going to you know, have another church. So we lost uh, over 1,000 people and over half the budget, and I had to let go over half the staff. And in the midst of all that, the building burned, the, the auditorium. And, of course, they blamed me for starting the fire when uh, we had to have an investigation to prove that I didn't start the fire. And so now all these people are gone. Here's a church that, that I mean, God was blessing every Sunday and people were being saved and lives being changed and, and hundreds of people joining. And yet here we are now in, a, in an auditorium. First, we were in the high school auditorium for a few months and then in the gym for a few months. We finally got back in the, in the church, but it was gutted and the the, wall, the ceiling was just all black and was on concrete floor, no choir or anything staged. Uh, I was on just a little wooden platform about that high down there on the concrete, and we bought $4 plastic chairs for the people to sit in. And there was a sign behind me, Keith, that said, Advancing Through Adversity. And I preached a series at that time on advancing through adversity, that somehow we're gonna advance through this. We're gonna get out of this, and we're gonna come out of it better people. The hardest. The, the, I'll just give you one illustration of how, how bad it got. I got a, a picture in the mail at home a bulletin from our church that had the picture of my family on that bulletin. I have two daughters. Their heads were circled. And they said, if you love your daughters, you'll be out of town in 30 days. Now, you say, somebody asked me the other day, how how long did it take you to get over that? This happened over 30 years ago. I said, I don't know, you have to ask somebody else because I'm not over it. Because you don't get over something like that. But listen to them and don't miss this. Because I could tell you all the horrible things that happened that are, and some are just almost unbelievable. But I was in the prayer chapel and I was crying out to God. And I said, God, you know, this is not right. It's not fair. God, you know that these people are lying. They're telling all these lies on me and every one of them, everything they're saying is not true. It's a lie. You know that, God. Zap them. (laughs) You did it in the Bible, zap them. And you know what God said to me? it broke my heart he said you're right everything they're saying about you is a lie but if they knew you like I know you if they knew your heart like I know your heart maybe they could run you off and tears started flowing and I got out of the chair and fell on my face And God began to show me things deep within me that I did not even know were there. And he dealt with pride and a lot of other issues in my life that that I didn't even know existed. But you see, God took that terrible thing And he was in control of all of it. And he was using the very instrument they were using against me. God was using it to help me. They were using it to hurt me. God was taking what they were using to hurt me and using it to help me. And God was able to do things in my life that perhaps he could not have done any other way. And to use that experience in my life now as I look back, that is one of the greatest things that ever happened in my life. I can now thank God for what we walked through over 30 years ago. You say, what happened to First Bozier? Well, in the next 30 years, God did unbelievable things. Our television ministry just exploded the church exploded in growth. We built buildings. We reached people. We did more missions in 30 different countries around the world. And in in my 30-year anniversary, I had a bottle of water in my hand. And I said to, to our people, if all we've done in these 30 years If we just reached one soul for eternity, it would be worth it. If just one person would never thirst again and would go to heaven instead of hell, it would be worth what all we've done in these 30 years. But I said God did more than that. That first year, we baptized over 300 people. And so they brought out over 300 bottles of water. But then I said, God, God, God did so much more than we ever dreamed or imagined. None of us could imagine. And they brought in 6,660 bottles of water. People had been saved and baptized in those 30 years. God did something unbelievable But that's how God works. That he takes those difficult things that are meant to hurt us and turns them around and uses them to help us. And now, there are almost a hundred people across America and around the world who are preaching the gospel, serving as missionaries who came out of First Baptist Bowser in those 30 years. One of them being your Pastor. God did that to God be the glory. Joseph may be the best example of Romans 8:28. And we know, we, all of us, know, a word of certainty, that God causes everything, all things, everything, not some things, not a few things all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul wrote that. You know what a mess he, Paul stayed in the mess. I mean, he was beaten several times with 39 lashes that the 40th was supposed to kill you. He was stoned and left for dead. In fact, they stoned him and drug him out of the city to die. And then Paul came back to and got up, brushed himself off and said, I'm going back and finish the sermon." But Paul went through all kind of terrible things, imprisonment, lied about, treated unjustly. And yet Paul writes, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good. And that's true for Joseph, true for Paul, but it's just as true for you and me. And here's the the big idea in this, this story of Joseph that I don't want you to miss. Nothing happens to us Everything happens for us. That'll set you free. Because we're always, nah, 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 you know, whining. Don't be a whiner, be a winner. Look at what's happened to me. Poor me. No. Nothing happens to us as believers, as God's children, God's in control. Everything happens for us. God rules and overrules in everything in our life for our good and for his glory. You can count on that. He may be silent, but he's never still. Always working behind the scenes. So what can we learn from Joseph about handling crisis, conquering our... Every crisis in our life. Dealing with adversity. may want to write these down. Number one, going through adversity is inevitable and unavoidable. We live in a fallen world. Flawed by sin. We are all sinners and sinners sin. And then we reproduce sinnerlings. And they sin too. And from our sins come hurt and tragedy and disease and decay and death. So that's the root of all of it. So, because we live in a flawed, fallen world, a sinful world, expect adversity. It's unavoidable, it's inevitable. The Bible says, think it not strange when terrible things happen. Because it's going to happen. You're going to go through hard times. We all do. My daughter at 37 got breast cancer. I never thought that, that I would have to put my daughter and cancer in the same sentence. And she had to go through all the, the chemo and all the things that she had to go through and Praise God, she, she's getting good tests, good results each six months now. But life hurts us. And, and there are no exceptions. There are people in this room right now that something's going on in, in you that's so hurtful that it was hard for you to even get up and come this morning. But I'm glad you came because God wants to encourage your heart that you're going to make it. And that God is working something beautiful out of it. You may not see it now, but you'll see it eventually. And know that it's not happening to you, it's happening for you. That God will take whatever is used to harm you, to help you, and to heal you. The second thing we can learn is that when life goes wrong, trust God and do right. I think that's the big takeaway from this part of Joseph's story. Because that's what Joseph did. And life will go wrong. And it will go wrong for days and months and sometimes years. And That was true with Joseph about 20 years before he realized his dreams. But in every situation, we have a choice. We can trust God or we can trust ourselves. Joseph trusted God in the dark. He trusted God in the dark. And that's what we need to do. I read a story about a British soldier who was in the war, and the struggle was so hard that he became discouraged. He thought he couldn't make it, he couldn't do it anymore. "I've been there, you've been there. I've told God many times, God, "I just can't make it through this. You, I'm not going to make it." But it did. And this soldier said, I can't make it. And, and so he sought to bail out. And he walked away. And he's walking and walking mile after mile after mile after mile. And he doesn't even know where he is. And he finally sees a, runs up against a post. He thinks, maybe this is a signpost and I'll, I'll have an idea where I am. And so he climbs that post and strikes a match. And all of a sudden, he realized he was looking into the face of Jesus Christ. He had climbed a crucifix. And looking in the face of Jesus, he thought, you know, Jesus didn't quit on me. And because of Jesus, I don't have to quit. I can go back and engage in the battle. Don't ever quit. It's always too soon to quit. Because listen to what I found with people. Many times we quit just before it was going to turn and become good for us. And then you just got to go through it all over. So don't ever quit. Just keep moving forward, believing that it's not happening to you, it's happening for you, and you can't see it, it's in the darkness like Spurgeon said, when you can't trace God's hand, trust his heart. You can't see what God's doing, and many times you can't. Trust his heart. He says all things are working for your good. Number three, adversity is God's, one of God's gifts to us. All of us are painfully aware of the awfulness of adversity the things can be so bad in our lives. Accidents happen. Tragedy, disease, cancer, divorce. All these things happen. We're painfully aware of the torture of tragedy. But Joseph is responding to these troubles and these trials and these tragedies God's way. They're coming in his life, but he's responding God's way and he gets beautiful results. See, that's what we want. We want good results. He, can't, he won't take away what's, what's going wrong, perhaps. He won't change that circumstance, but he wants to change you and he wants it to come out good so that it's a blessing to you, it's a help to you. So we receive adversity as a gift from God, in that God unwraps that His presence and His power and His purpose in our lives. Beauty from ashes. It's not easy to look at what's happening to you and call it a gift, is it? But what's happening to you will put you into God's presence. And you will sense His power. And you will eventually see His purpose. And that is beautiful. That is beautiful. And God wants that for you. Number four. There is nothing so bad but that good can come out of it. Now that doesn't sound right, but that is right. There's nothing so bad but that good can come out of it. Joseph, you might remember, is a type of Christ. You'll see that in Scripture. What was the worst thing that's ever happened in the world? The ultimate evil, the greatest evil, the worst thing. It was when sinful men nailed a sinless Christ to the cross. It'll never get worse than that. Jesus who was perfect. Jesus who was full of love. Jesus who was God in human flesh. Sinless, but sinful men placed the sinless Christ on a cross. He was crucified. Worst thing that's ever been done. But out of the worst thing that's ever happened, ultimate good came. Forgiveness of sins eternal life through Jesus Christ. So you can't doubt that it never gets so bad but that good can come out of it because we've already had the worst thing that could ever happen and ultimate good came out of it. You and I have Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives. Then number five, God is with us. You're never alone. Oh, you're, you're in a mess, maybe the biggest mess of your life, and you think if I just had somebody that I could pour out my heart to and be honest with and talk to, God is there waiting on you. And you can tell him anything. You'll never surprise him. You'll never tell God something. He said, God says, Well, I didn't know that. Thanks for telling me. He knows all. And he loves you, he loves you unconditionally so you can be totally honest and you can pour out your heart to him. God is with us. He is in us. And he is for us. He is with us and we can sit in his presence and we can walk with him and we can talk with him. And he is in us to give us power, to give us purpose. He is for us. He has already said that whatever happens will ultimately be for our good. And that power is grace. I call it trouble grace. When you get in trouble, God gives you the grace to handle the trouble. And it's inexhaustible. He'll give you all that you need. He won't give you more than you need. He won't give you less than you need. He'll give you what you need. When you get in trouble, God gives you the grace to handle the trouble. He will never, ever put more on you than you can handle. It's what he tells us. And he is truth. He will never put more than you can handle. So he gives you the grace, the trouble grace, to handle whatever life throws at you. I think of a morphine pump. When they put, attach a morphine pump to you and you've had the surgery and they tell you push that button. When you get to hurting, just push that button and the pain will go away. Well, how often can I push it? Push it as many times as you want to. But what you soon realize when you push that button, it'll only give you what you need, nothing more. You can push it all you want to, but nothing's going to happen. It's set to give you just what you need when you need it. Not more, not less. That's troubled grace. And you don't get tomorrow's grace, you get today's grace. And you get what you need and not more or not less. Exactly what you need. God may change your circumstances, but probably not. It's true in my life. He usually changes me through those circumstances. That's what he did in Bossier. God changed me through those circumstances. I know, here's what somebody's gonna say, I just know it. Preacher, all that sounds good, but I'm not a Joseph. I know God took care of Joseph. I know he was in a mess and all of it turned out for the good, but I'm not Joseph. Listen to me. God loves you just as much as he loved Joseph. God didn't love Joseph more than he loves you. Joseph didn't have more of God's power than you have. Joseph didn't have more of God than you have. Listen to me. All that God is he is in you and all that he is in you he wants to be through you Paul did, didn't have more of God look at all that Paul did we say, well, he was a great Christian one of the greatest Christians maybe in the New Testament the greatest evangelist Paul was a human being it was God who did all that through him he didn't have more of God you don't need more of God you have all that God is God needs more of you that's the key the same God that was in Joseph and in Paul and who worked these miracles and he brought good out of terrible things is the same God who resides in you this morning and can work miracles in your life. It may not change the circumstances, but he will change you through those circumstances. And number six, my favorite one. In the end, we win. I mean, things may be, get tough in this world, and I don't know what's going to happen in this world, but it's not looking good right now, I guarantee you. And we've got ISIS and ISIL and all kind of stuff going on out there, and it's a scary time. And we don't know what's going to happen. But we know what's going to happen ultimately. We win. When I was a boy, I read Hardy Mystery Books. And that was, you know, that was I grew up in the country and a long time ago, and that's what we had to read. And but I couldn't stand it, you know. I would go over and read the last chapter and see how it turned out. <laughs> and then I would finish reading the book, and then all through as I was finished reading that book, I'd I would say, Guy, listen to me. If you knew what I knew, you wouldn't know my door. I know what's about to happen. I w- you wouldn't go around that curve. I know what's about to happen. I've read the last chapter. Well, let me tell you, I've read the last chapter. I know how it's going to turn out. We win. We win. Absolutely. And it's going to be worth it. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians four seventeen. For our present troubles are small and won't last long. I don't care how bad things get in my life. It's always small compared to what God's going to do in the future. For our present troubles are small. We think they're huge, but they're small compared to what God wants to do in us and through us and the good that he wants to bring about in our lives. Yet they produce a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. God says, you may think it's, it's bad news now and that things are terrible, but I want you to know that it's not going to last that long and the glory comes. And it's going to be worth it all when we see Christ. It's going to be worth it all. A lady called her pastor and she said, Pastor, I'm dying with cancer and the doctor said, it's just a few days. And I want, I want to know if you'll do my funeral. And he said, I'll be happy to. He said, but I have a strange request. He said, what is it? She said, I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. And he said, that is a strange request. Tell me why. She said, well, I I grew up in the country and we grew up poor. And we didn't ever have desserts. Sometimes the meal wasn't too much. But occasionally we would have company. And when we would have company, at the end of the meal, mom would walk around and pick up the plates. And when she picked up your plate, if she said, keep your fork, oh, it's gonna be good. Dessert, chocolate, apple pie with ice cream, It's going to be good. Keep the fork. But listen to me. Whatever's going on in your life, you just keep trusting God and doing right and keep the fork. The best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, speak to hearts across this room. I don't believe anyone's here by accident. They wanted... You wanted them to be here. You wanted them to hear this message. Father, my heart's desire this morning is to to encourage everyone in this room based on the truth of God's word. And I pray that every believer who's going through tough times in this room this morning is encouraged and will leave here encouraged knowing that God is at work that these things are not happening to them but for them and that ultimately God will use it for good in their lives and they can walk out of here this morning keeping the fork the best is yet to come never give up and Father for those who may not know Jesus in this room. They're not believers yet. All these promises we've mentioned this morning are not available to them. So I pray that this very morning they would come to know you as personal Lord and Savior. I pray that you'd give them the courage to just simply say to you, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross to save me from my sins. Come into my heart and forgive me of my sins and save my soul. I want you in my life. And one day I want to go to heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Can you just pray a simple prayer in your heart and then let somebody know that you prayed that prayer and follow the Lord in baptism and begin to grow in in the faith. Father, all of us thank you for your grace your grace that saves us your grace that empowers us to make it through this life and the grace that tells us the best is yet to come in jesus name amen